Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Entangling Vines, Case 28-1. Senjo and her spirit. Gosohoen asked a monk. Senjo and her spirit were separated. Which was the real Senjo? Good afternoon. This is the first day of our preparation for Rohatsu. And as Roshi spoke yesterday, we have a different way of getting to Rohatsu this year than in one of the years that we would have called normal. We might all have felt that way for a long time that there's absolutely nothing normal about this. And from the point of view of a Zen practitioner, that's actually a good thing. Because as soon as we settle into something that is a norm, that seems to be fixated in this or that way, we are at great danger. At great danger to have many things pass us by that are just wiped out by that what we call normalcy. Standards are wiped off the face of the earth every moment. And there is nothing normal about this. And as it comes, of course, the corn that presents itself from the collection of entangling vines just perfectly fits into this unfolding of this moment that we share here together. It's a wonderful koan because I get to tell you a story. I get to tell you a story that has to be known in order to be able to connect with 
what Goso Hoen asked about. If we were just to stick with the line that I just read and that I will read again for you, it would be very sparse. Goso Hoen asked a monk, Senjo and her spirit were separated. Which was the real Senjo? Okay, so there's a story to this. And here it comes. The story goes back to China to the Tang Dynasty. And it's actually kind of a novel, a novel that deals with spirits, ghost stories. It's not a new invention. This might have been written by an ancient predecessor of Stephen King. We humans always liked stories because stories are wonderful expressions in words, in images, in evoked feelings of our shared humanity. The Japanese pronunciation of this book is called Rikonki, the story of a separated spirit. It plays in a place called Koshu, a province in China. And it is around the family of a father whose name is Chokan. Chokan must have been a fairly well-off member of the community and since at that time there was no single child policy in China, he had two daughters. He and his wife loved those daughters immensely. But at some point, tragedy struck. And the older of the two children passed away. left with only one daughter, she received the full attention of her father. Well, you might be asking why, why isn't he saying anything about the mother? Well, as far as I know, the mother is not mentioned in the story anymore. But we have to be aware, of course, that without the mother, Senjo would not have been born. You might find various editions of this koan and of this story. And in Japanese, some people read her name as Seijo and others as Senjo. Since this is the version from the Shumon Katoshu, from the collection of Entangling Vines. For today, I've settled on the Senjo reading. 
What does Senjo mean? That was the name of that young girl who became the soul child after her sister passed away. Well, Sen is just the given name. And Jo means girl, maiden. So the maiden Sen was deeply beloved and all of her wishes were granted by her father. She was catered to in a parental way that everybody would have wished for to have received during their childhood. And they grew up near their extended family. So the father, Chokan, had a brother. And of course, the brother had a family too. And in that family, about the same age as Senjo, was a boy by the name of Ochu. Senjo and Ochu grew up together. They played together from a very young age, spend a lot of time together, and they were family. And one day, at one of those family gatherings, while the children were playing, the father, Chokan, said to his brother in a maybe a joking way, but he said, oh, look at Senju and Ochu. They would make such a great couple when they grow up. They should get married. And while that, from the father's point of view, was just something that he said, the children remembered. And in their young minds started to see each other as entrusted to each other, as promised to each other, as engaged. So Senju grew up as did Ochu, both turned out to be young, beautiful human beings, well-respected members of the community. And she was known for her beauty. And then comes the time for the father to see how to marry off his daughter. Of course, by that time, he had long forgotten about having said anything a long time ago about Senju and Ochu. And he selected for her a different man, a young man who was rising in the ranks of the Confucian path of an official. His name was Hinryo. So Senju said Chokan, I have selected Hinryo as your husband. At that moment, Senju's 
world broke. How could that be? Ochu is the one who I will marry. But she didn't say it out loud because this is my beloved father who has granted me every wish. So she bowed to him. Hearing about it, Otsu, also a fine young man, thought to himself, I shall follow what my uncle says. Senju is his daughter. If he wants her to marry Kinryo, I cannot bear to live near here and I shall disappear tonight without telling anybody. That night, Ochu took the few things that he wanted to take with himself and went down to the sea, to the river, and got in his boat and started rowing away from the city where he had grown up. And as he was rowing, he saw in the darkness there on, on the side of the riverbank, there, there was some odd movement. It seemed like somebody was following him. I shall look who that is. Maybe that person needs my help. He banked his boat and jumped out to see who it is. And there he found Senjo, his beloved fiance. They hugged each other. There was no question that she had come to be with him. And together they went in the boat into a far land. After having lived in that land, Shoku, for five years, Senju already had given birth to two children. And as she looked at her children, the feelings of a parent became very clear to her and she started feeling for her father. Oh, I have left him behind. I did not even say goodbye. And he deserves better. He did everything for me, granted me lovingly every wish and I have just disappeared from his house. She started thinking about it so much that one day she spoke to Ochu. And Ochu replied, my dear wife, you know, looking at our children, I feel exactly the same way. Let us go back. Let us go back with the children and ask 
my uncle, your father, for forgiveness. They made the trip back to their hometown. And when they arrived there, it was a journey of several days. The children were tired and Senju stayed behind to be with the children while Ochu went to his uncle's house. He arrived at the house of Chokan. And Chokan was very surprised to see him. Not only surprised, but he wouldn't know what to say. It seemed odd to Ocho. Let me explain, uncle, he said. And he started to tell the story that the evening, the day when I heard that Senjo was going to marry Hinryo. I decided to leave the town. And I went to the far land of Shoku and my wife and I had two children. And now I come back here to ask your forgiveness. The father looked at him, the, his uncle, what, what is he talking about? He said, Ochu, are you feeling okay? You know, because when you left, the day you left, from that time on, Senju, who is right here in her room, lie down on her bed, became lifeless and stopped speaking. And she has not spoken a single word since you disappeared. Now it was Ochu's time to be confused. What are you saying? Sen Senjo is with me, she is waiting at the boat with the children. The father wasn't quite sure if his nephew had gone over and lost his mind. So he sent one of his attendants down to where the boat was. The attendant came back and said to the father, well, it is definitely Senjo. I just saw her at the boat. Incredulous, not able to believe it. Father went into his daughter's room to see if she had snuck out. No, there she was, as quiet as before as pale and as lifeless. And he told her, Ochu has come back and said that you had escaped with him, eloped, and that you are in the harbor. 
When Senjo heard it, color came back to her face. Life came back to her body and she jumped up, still not uttering a single sound. In the meanwhile, the carriage had arrived with the Senju that had lived and born two children. The whole family went outside and the quiet six Senju stepped out of the house, seeing the mother Senju and they became one again. After some time of this wonderful and miraculous unification, Chokan said to his daughter, my dear Senju, since Ochu left, you were like dead, mute, listless, as if drunk. But now I see what had happened is that your spirit left your body and went with Ochu, the love of your life. Senjo looked at him and said, Father, I did not know what happened. I did not know that I was sick at home. I did follow Ochu. It felt like I was in a dream. But I myself do not know which was the real me, the one who stayed with you, sickish and listless, or the one who gave birth to two children. Well, so much for the saying that you don't need to have any books for Zen. There's a lot of context here. And when I look back at my early age as a Zen practitioner, I can see myself saying, all this is just adornment. Let's go to the essence of it. Let's just disregard it. That's not it. But you know, the older one gets, the more one becomes accustomed to see clearly that all of these judgments are merely sparks coming from a fixated point of view. Because everything that helps in this practice or in this life to make us be more awake and whole should not be disregarded or rejected.
a story is nothing else than conditions and spinning the plot of codependent origination. Even a story like this teaches us about Pratitya Samutpada, about Engi, about the principles of causation and of conditional arising. You find this koan not only in the Shumon Katoshu, the entangling vines, but it is also case 35 in the gateless barrier, the gateless gate, the Mumonkan. And just to help myself remember all of these things, I took out my first copy of the Mumonkan I ever had. which of course is in German. I bought it and it was in the only bookstore in the town I grew up in that would carry books of this kind. And even that was difficult to find because it was a Catholic bookstore. So you had to go up to the second floor and in the farthest recess of the store, you could find books like this here. And the section was labeled self-improvement and other religions. It was quite interesting. But what struck me today when I took it out is this here. This is the receipt for the book where I bought it. And what made me feel really old is when I looked at the date. It was the 5th of January, 1982. And it cost the equivalent of current day uh, $27. So case number 35 of the gateless barrier, the gateless gate, also case 28, number one in the Shumon Katoshu. As you know, the Shumon Katoshu doesn't have pointers. It doesn't have introductions. It doesn't have verses. It just has the Honsok, the main case. That's why this is so short. While it is short, well, you endured me telling you that story from the beginning to the end. And it's a question, well, what kind of relevance does this have? Apparently, maybe we do, maybe we don't believe in ghosts. But there must be something in this here that is really important. Otherwise, such a preeminent ancestor as Goso Hoan is would not have asked this question from one of his disciples. Let me just remind ourselves quickly who Goso Hoan, Goso Hoan was. 
the name Go So Ho and Go means five, fifth. So is ancestor. Fifth ancestor. No, he's not the fifth ancestor. No, he is not. But he lived at the mountain and was the abbot at the mountain where the fifth ancestor used to live. And the ancient ancestors took their name from the temples where they served. A couple of days ago, I spoke about Obaku and the kind of tree that made up his name because the place had those Amur cork trees. Here it is by the fact that the famous ancestor lived at that place, Goso. And Hoen, Ho of course is Dharma, but N is, uh, signifies performance, act, play, render, stage. What a wonderful Dharma name. Stage for the Dharma to unfold. Goso Hoen appears in 11 cases in the Shumon Kattoshu, the entangling vines. I'm sure you know a couple of them. Some of them all already appeared in my journey through this. There's the case about the ox goes by the lattice window. Goso Hoen lived from 1024 until 1104. He was born in the place that's in Japanese called Shisensho. He ordained relatively late at age 35 in the city of Seto, which was the provincial capital of that uh, Shisensho. His first studies were, were in the Yogacara school, but he became dissatisfied pretty soon and he wanted to know a teacher who really transmits the Buddha mind. There's the famous story about him wanting to learn for himself and know for himself if the water was cold or hot. That drove him to look for a Zen teacher. He went on Angya. He came to Enkan Hoan a Zen master of the time, who recommended Yogi Ho's successor to him as a teacher, whose name was Hakuun Sutan. When Hakuun Sutan told in a Taisho, which is also known as a koan, I think it's case 269 in the Shumon Katoshu, the story about the Zen monks coming from Mount Ro being able to answer every koan, to render verses and teishos on it, but still not yet, not yet. That roused the great doubt in Goso Hoen. And he worked on that very koan incessantly until he came to his full awakening. His lineage has several important successors I think there was a total of eight, but the ones that we heard about, and I think Roshi mentioned uh, just in her Teso yesterday, 
that there are at least eight. And Daie Soko is one of them. And Engo Kokugon. And we heard about how Engo and the Blue Cliff Record fit into this story of Zen. So that's Goso Horn. What do we do with a Chinese ghost story? What do we do with koans that seem so untouchable or not in our times? Let's see what kind of commonalities we can find in our human situation that we find ourselves here. Has anyone who's listening to this ever kind of thought that they're living in a split existence? Well, I really want to do this, but I'm here. And we battle through it. What is there anything that is not a split existence is another question. This Buddhism tells us about the 10,000 things. So if you can enumerate them and say 10,000, certainly that is split. It's broken. It's broken apart. Distinctions are manifest. Rohatsu is a wonderful opportunity to examine ourselves, to examine that function of our consciousness that might lead us to experiencing that split that very point where Senjo and her body and her spirit separated. How many times have we sat on the cushion in the Zendo and turned into a rigid held up, listless, mute corpse while our mind and our heart went out into the far distant land of Shokan, gave birth to children and really loved them, even though it seemed like in a dream. Or how often is it even in a different way that it's not to the outside, but to the inside, that there is no place to run to where we are just sitting there on the cushion, but hell manifests itself right there in a different split between that, what we'd rather have 
and that what is unfolding and processed through that split and ends up to be terrifically lousy. Senjo, body and mind, body and soul. In one of the threefold Sangha talks some time ago, I spoke a little bit about body and mind and that they are not apart. And of course, that also has some very important influence on getting into this kind of understanding, which one is real? Is it the body? Is it the mind? And again, we have, call, we have to call onto the words of ancient masters. And we should remember that there is talk about not two, but also not one, but also not none. Joshu Roshi spoke a lot about zero. Not one, not two, but zero. And it is more than just, of course, a number or a digit. His teaching about zero made very deep impression on all of his disciples. After he arrived in the United States, about three years after Nyogen Senzaki passed away, there was no support the first sittings happened in the garage of a dentist. And soon the neighborhood was complaining about too many cars parking there when it came to sittings. And one of the first students who came was a teacher who taught in school, in high school, by the name of Ron Olson. He became Joshua Roshi's first ordained student. He was ordained by the name of Kodo. And eventually, he became his first priest, his first Osho, Gisan Kodo. And founded his own temple in Redondo Beach. And it happened to be that Kodo, when he became older, suffered from a stroke. He had a stroke and the stroke rendered him partially unable to access certain portions of speech. I remember that during a 
anniversary celebration that we had at Rinzaiji, which is every year to commemorate July 21st, the arrival of Joshu Roshi in America. Everybody was asked to say something. And Kodo was there. He was walking with a walker. He had trouble speaking. And he stood up and he said to us all, this teaching of Zen goes deeper than you can ever measure. You know I had a stroke. I can do this, but I cannot say, I cannot say, I cannot say, but I have no trouble saying zero. He could not say any numbers. He could not say any digits, but zero he was able to say. And he said it through his dedication. So this is in memory of Kodo Ron Olsen. Not two, not one, but zero. Gisan Kodo Osho. All right, so this story tells us we have to transcend any idea of this and that. That's something that we might say, but over the last few years, I've come to rub against the term transcend. It doesn't seem right anymore to me because transcend is I'm here and I will step over into somewhere where I haven't been. That would mean there's something to attain that hasn't been attained yet. So we have to be careful with our language because that grade zero, that not two, in its completeness is right here and now. The stepping, the transcending, stepping somewhere where there is only part of it is exactly what the story has been telling us. Leaving something behind and going somewhere else and being incomplete. and incomplete parts as themselves. Well, are they bad? Or are they just arising conditionally like everything? But the story also tells us that it all comes back together and becomes one again. 
So that separation and unification is quite important. Many people think in the beginning, oh, this is an easy koan. But some count it into that category of koans that's called nanto koan, which are very difficult to penetrate. And this is the point, not transcending something that is relative. Lately, I think of it more as an integration, an integration of everything that is there already, no, nothing that has to be newly created. It is right here in front of our very eyes, in front of our hearts and minds. Only those separations that we wedge in between make it difficult for us. Yes, of course, there is utility to it. There's utility to be able to tell a rope on the ground in the dark from a snake. Absolutely. But it does not remove the underlying Buddha nature of if snake or rope. No difference. We just get hung up and start identifying those wedges that are splitting between this and that. And even forget about, well, there is something beyond that border, that limitation that I just created for myself. A process of integration is a process of letting everything come together. Stopping to reject, stopping to defend, stopping any kind of that split. Yet when it comes time, and we are in accord with the way, we'll be able to, without any difficulty, shapeshift into what is necessary at that moment. And why can't we do that naturally again? Because we drive those wedges in between this and that. Predilections likes and dislikes. Separate the world into portions that are incomplete and that often keep us from being able to connect with what is unfolding right here. What is life? Which life is the real life? The body, the mind, the existence of us where we have to function in this separation or the existence of that wholeness. That in itself already 
has a big wedge in the middle. In your Zazen, Samadhi will be present. We will be Samadhi. Samadhi's Zammai, the Japanese characters or the Chinese characters read as Sammai. It's the number three and the character for flavor. Zammai, the three flavors all together, past, present, and future. That what unfolds in that samadhi, in this very moment, is the flavor that we learn in our lives to taste. As a Zen practitioner, we take full participation in that embracing of that flavor. Unfortunately, there is no menu. If we want to order from a menu, the disappointments will be great. It's also not like in the Japanese restaurants where you don't have to order for a menu, where you just walk in and you select one of the three levels, show chiku bai. So is it pine, which is the lowest, or is it a chiku, which is a bamboo, or is it plum, which is the highest? Not even that. Connecting with that what unfolds as a flavor in front of us is where Senjo and her life meet. Life is an acquired taste. We just have to be willing to let it meet us. Taste, feel, be alive. And when you find yourselves as the listless corpse in any part of your life, recall this story and bring it all together. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org donate. Thank you for listening.